You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, we'll break down what we can expect from this Cyber Monday shopping. CEO of a leading data platform, Clavio, is with us. And Elon Musk visits Israel after facing backlash for amplifying anti-Semitic content on X. We'll have the takeaways from his trip after meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Plus, TikTok parent ByteDance plans to cut hundreds of jobs in gaming. That's as it winds down, that focus will break down what it means in terms of the broader context. In the here and the now, Ed, let's just talk a little bit about how far we've come in terms of the tech stock rally and, well, who's been suffering on the other side of it, notably dividend ETF flows there near a record low. Joining us to discuss all of these pushes and pulls, Emily Graffaire, it's great to have you with us. And one of the most read stories today is yours about, well, who's done badly on the back of the tech trade, but just focusing on the tech trade and how far the rally has gone. We know, actually, that there's some writing out today that given the amount of buybacks, given how much Apple, just for example, has to buy back in terms of shares, we could still see this rally continue? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are saying that there's still dry powder on the sidelines. And of course, the seasonality really does bode well for the rally to continue. We know that big tech has really driven most of the gain. So I think when you look at this uh, dividend story, it's just another example of just how much the rally in the stock market this year has been basically taken over by the gains in mega cap uh, technology stocks. You know, and part of the story is like about missing the boat. I was crunching the numbers, looking at the S&P 500 year to date, information technology or telecoms uh, subsector year to date, 50% gains in tech, basically. But a lot of the strategies that you're writing about, they don't touch tech, so they kind of miss out. Yeah, that's right, Ed. I found the um, port function on the Bloomberg terminal. Very helpful in writing this story because if you run that on a number of these dividend ETFs, you take a look at um, SDY, which is from State Street. They don't really have a large weighting to information technology. They have about a quarter of their weighting to consumer staples, utility, healthcare, you know, sectors that have declined this year and really haven't benefited from that AI euphoria that has powered the top of the S&P 500. Then you take 
take a look at VIG, that's Vanguard's Dividend Appreciation ETF, and Port shows that they have about a 25% weight for um, information technology, and that's one of the best performing dividend ETFs, up 9.6%. So again, underperforming the S&P and the NASDAQ, but at least that large concentration in information technology did help that ETF. What's interesting is, of course, this week, we don't just have macro things to be looking out for, but there are the idiosyncratic earnings, just yeah. being Salesforce, for example. Are we likely to still see AI be the exuberant force for those sorts of companies? I think so, Caroline. I mean, I think these companies are going to continue to juice out that theme, at least for the rest of the year. It is interesting when we look at, you know, all of these sectors, are we going to see, just like how the internet at first kind of dominated tech and then it expanded and now pretty much every company uses this technology, are we going to see that expand to other companies? Earlier in the year, we had like companies like Kroger kind of mentioning AI. That seemed to fizzle out a little bit, but we'll have to see if these companies actually do um, manage to capture this technology that has been so beneficial for the mega caps, the Microsofts. All right, Bloomberg's Emily Grafeo with pretty much the top story across all Bloomberg platforms this Monday. Thank you very much. Meanwhile, it is a big day today for many big tech companies in the e-commerce business with Cyber Monday in full swing. Joining us to discuss is Clavio CEO Andrew Bialecki. And Clavio, a leading data platform, but in retail and the e-commerce space. You went public earlier this year, and we'll get to that. There seems to be a lot of upgraded expectations for Cyber Monday based on how strong Black Friday was. Are you seeing that in your data as well? Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having us. Uh, it's a super exciting week. Uh, it's the biggest week of the year for many of our customers. You know, we power smarter digital relationships, uh, help businesses understand who their customers are, and then communicate with them, build great experiences across email, SMS, and mobile. Um, so it's a great it's a great period for businesses to grow. And uh, we're seeing, you know, as usual, Clavio's powering that. Um, on Black Friday, you know, we had more than 300 million messages sent uh, during our peak hour. Uh, and part of the way that we make the messaging and the experiences between businesses better is using artificial intelligence. Our product recommendation engine generated over a billion uh, recommendations that were embedded in those emails. And most critically, uh, that re resulted in real growth for these businesses. You know, in the peak hour uh, on Black Friday, uh, Clavio businesses generated over $50 million in sales directly attributable to the messaging they were sending through Clavio. Uh, and so interestingly, we found that you know, the trend was a lot of people were sending messages earlier in the day, but the actual best conversion time was uh, towards the middle. So we saw the most conversions, uh, most customers buying uh, between 11 and noon uh, on Friday. So Andrew, what is your expectation, the Klaviyo expectation for Monday then, right? We go off Adobe Analytics data as a proxy. They said 9.8 billion spent online Friday. Their expectation is 12.4 billion this Monday, Cyber Monday being the bigger window. Do you see a bigger window of activity for you guys too? Yeah, well, from the businesses that I've talked to and uh, just, you know, uh, looking at our numbers, <clears throat> Black Friday was great. Uh, we're only part of the way through Cyber Monday, so we'll wait and see what happens the rest of the day. But one of the big trends that we've seen playing out is consumers are buying from brands they love. Uh, I've talked to a number of retailers that uh, actually sold out on Friday, exceeded their expectations by marketing back to the businesses uh, or to the consumers that they already have relationships with. So one of the big trends that we're really focus on is a lot of businesses in the past, 
you know, relied on advertising and marketplaces to drive demand. What we're finding is a lot of modern uh, digital businesses, uh, digital brands, they're going direct. They're building direct connections to consumers and they're reaching them through email, through text messaging. They're using personalization, artificial intelligence, and they're measuring those results and that's driving sales. And that's a lot of what's gonna power them through not just Black Friday and Cyber Monday, but through this entire holiday season. Andrew, I almost think about my own SMSs. And I think almost one in every three is from a business of some sort. How many are opting out? How many people and consumers are pushing back on this sort of way of marketing? Yeah, well, what we find is when you send uh, really undirected, just kind of one-size-fits-all messaging, especially in a channel uh, like text messaging, you know, I, my text messages are pretty private. Like, I only have a select number of uh, brands into them. Uh, if you send one-size-fits-all messaging, that doesn't work. Folks opt out. But when you personalize those recommendations, um, you know, based on the products people have bought, uh, or what we often find is a lot of businesses, when they're launching new products, they're uh, first, they're pre-releasing that to folks that are subscribed to text messages. Consumers love that because they find out right, right away before things sell out. And that kind of marketing works really well. The global perspective here, I mean, I would say many might be surprised that there's such resilient consumer demand over the last weekend or so. I was with the Macy's CEO and he was really saying, look, on Friday, it was much more about jewellery, about cashmere, about gifting. But people aren't at the moment helping themselves. They're not particularly in a spirit of spending enthusiastically no matter where. Are we seeing this sort of resilient consumer no matter where you are? Is it certain types of brands and certain types of geographies? Yeah, it's a great question. So we're seeing it across categories. And the other thing that we've noticed is, uh, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, they were historically were more, uh, we think of those as U.S., uh, Canada-centric holidays. We're seeing those really expand globally. Um, you know, we saw uh, activity pick up uh, across the Clavio platform starting, you know, really early, uh, you know, even in Asia. Um, so one of the trends is I think that this is becoming more of a global holiday and less uh, just domestically centered. There's been a lot of activity on some of the Chinese-based platforms, Timu, Sheen, like really heavy discounting. Is that a data set or a marketplace that you track? Uh, so we have a lot. We have uh, businesses uh, around the world, um, but specifically related to discounting. We'll wait and see what the numbers show us. Uh, but again, I think what, what because our uh, our thesis is all about businesses going to consumers that already have a they already have a relationship with i think that's that helps moderate some of that discounting behavior these are customers that have maybe bought in the past or were browsing uh you know they have some affiliation with this business and now they're ready to pull the trigger um so that's that's i think the shift in marketing that we're really focused on is uh how do you how do you take existing relationships and make more out of those and one of the nice parts is i think that offsets some of the discounting that's required I'm interested, of course, you're in this economic environment where actually, well, thus far, the numbers bearing pretty good over the last few days. You, of course, have recently gone public. You are trying to build this narrative to a new shareholder base of what it is that you do and ultimately how dependent you are on certain companies and, and the macro environment. You were all about AI when it came to a listing. How is it being a publicly traded company? How are you finding the narrative going for you when the pushes and the pulls? Well, we, honestly, yeah, we've had a mentality of just focus on helping businesses grow. You know, one of the one of the big trends that um, we love talking about is it's not just this move from commerce happening, you know, from brick and mortar to now everywhere, online, on your phone. But there's another big macro trend, and that's businesses saying, hey, I'm going to drive demand to my store, whether it's, you know, a digital store or a physical store. 
I'm going to drive demand not just through traditional channels, through advertising, through marketplaces, but I'm also going to do that by building direct relationships uh, with consumers. And the technology to do that has gotten a lot better. And the personalization driven by artificial intelligence has gotten a lot better. So I expect over the you know coming years, uh, the next decade, we think this is a long-term trend, more and more brands are focused on how do they build up their database of direct connections with consumers. That will drive sales, that will drive engagement. Um, and if we keep executing on that, we'll do right by uh, our customers and our shareholders. Thank you very much for joining us on the back of all of that. Andrew Berlecki is, of course, the Clavio CEO joining us. What is a pretty thick and fast Cyber Monday. Meanwhile, coming up, we're going to talk about Elon Musk. He's currently in Israel. We'll have the latest on his visit with the meetings with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and other Israeli lawmakers. That's next. But before we head to the break, we just want to turn our attention, of course, the backlash against Elon Musk. It is continuing following well, it seems to have been an amplification of anti-Semitic content on X. Just a few weeks ago, Musk and the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, they shared a stage at the UK AI Safety Summit. Well, now Sunak has just weighed in on the issue in an interview with Bloomberg last night. Take a listen. I condemn anti-Semitism in all its forms. It, it, it doesn't matter whether you're Elon Musk or you're someone on the street who's shouting abuse at someone who happens to be walking past you. That's wrong in all its forms. Anti-Semitism in all its forms is completely and utterly wrong. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. (laughs) 
Some pictures there, as you see of Elon Musk earlier in conversation with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel. He, in fact, also took to his own social media platform, X, to continue that conversation with Netanyahu. And we just want to sort of understand the context here and indeed, well, whether or not it's basically helping the business of X at this moment, given the backlash about his seeming, well, signing on or at least amplification of certain anti-Semitic views across his platform. Joining us now is Max Chafkin. And Max, this does ultimately feel like a bit of a PR exercise to go to Israel. Is that how it's been interpreted? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Elon Musk is very much, you know, of a piece with other... He's, he's almost like a world leader, right? He, he like, In the same way that, like, a politician might fly to a war zone uh, in order to, like, you know, combat a crisis at home, we have uh, X, you know, the platform formerly known as Twitter, dealing with a huge advertiser pause, you know, tens of millions of dollars in potential lost revenue, and we have Elon Musk trying to combat these accusations of anti-Semitism, you know, by showing up uh, in Israel and doing an event with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. I think what's interesting about this is that Musk has been tied, whether of his own volition or not, to the Israel-Hamas war since the outset, right, Max, because he does have a tendency to weigh in on whatever the global issue of the day is. There are parallels with the war in Ukraine, for example. What, what has Musk's position been in all of this, to this point or at varied points? Uh, Musk's position on the, the war in Israel and, and Gaza has been very, very squishy. And as you said, Ed, it's, it's kind of like just trying to put himself in the middle of it, and when possible, using it to, to advance his own business goals. We actually had a meeting you know, uh, in the US with Musk and Netanyahu amid an earlier kind of flap over anti-Semitism. Musk made a bunch of comments. He, I think he said he was basically Jewish, or you know, he'd gone to a Hebrew uh, preschool. Uh, he's, he's tried all sorts of uh, tactics to sort of say that he's not anti-Semitic, short of actually apologizing for the comments that Caroline alluded to just now. Max, a technology story at the heart of this is Starlink. Um, the Israeli communication ministry came out earlier and said that a understanding in principle is out. We're looking at pictures of the Starlink map on its website, and the darker blue shades are the coming soon. In other words, Starlink not yet operational in Israel or the Gaza Strip. But what do we know about those negotiations? I mean, this is part of a larger effort by Starlink, uh, you know, which is like this, the communications arm of SpaceX, to find a business. You know, they, they launched this thing. It costs a lot of money. Um, it has a, a consumer business. But I think Musk and others have realized that it also has, you know, bigger, say, defense implications. This could be something that could be, could be sold to cover governments as a possible communications tool. So I think it's about, you know, trying to trying to create a business here with an eye you know, to an eventual IPO in the future. And therein lies basically the breadth of what you and so many colleagues are trying to do on this podcast of Elon Inc. It's basically he has so many different businesses. Ultimately, a lot of what perhaps he's doing personally on X has ramifications on a lot of these businesses. How has Starlink been something that people have been nervous about? I mean, Ed referenced that this has sort of been played out a little bit with Ukraine. Yeah, well, I mean, SpaceX in general, Elon Musk's aerospace investments have been kind of a bright spot over the last uh, year or so amid, you know, questions about demand for, for Tesla cars, amid, you know, his, his craziness uh, on his personal social media feed. Um, but of course, it started to bleed over. We, we had this, this kind of flap over Ukraine where, where the Ukrainians were, were accusing Elon Musk of, like, shutting off 
access. Um, and, and of course, you know, Musk is getting sucked into this like larger geopolitical issue. Yeah. On the other hand, SpaceX, super successful as a defense contractor, it kind of makes sense to find this as a market for Starlink. So two things, Musk has stated that he is not anti-Semitic, right, following that post that media reports that he is a bogus. But it was interesting that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu didn't ask him about it on the 20-minute spaces either. Bloomberg's Matt Chafkin breaking down what is an ongoing situation with Musk in Israel. Now, speaking of content, Merriam-Webster chose authentic as its word of the year, highlighting the spread of misinformation on platforms like Elon Musk X and the rise of AI. Merriam-Webster's editor-at-large, Peter Sokolowski, said in a statement, quote, the line between real and fake has become increasingly blurred. As a result, in social media and marketing, authentic has become the gold standard for building trust. I'm very happy to see Sam back. He's uniquely positioned to, for stewardship of this very important company. It's much more than just a company. It uh, is benefit of AI to humanity in a much larger way over the next few decades. Uh, and I think we've restored the path. That was Coastler Ventures founder Vinod Coastler there reacting to the news of Sam Altman's return to OpenAI. Coastler Ventures was the first venture firm to back OpenAI. Let's get into it all. The OpenAI drama, what we know, the latest. Bloomberg's Rachel Metz back with me on set. So I kind of guess the big unknown is this tender offer where employees can sell shares to investors. But what you and I kind of discussed on Friday, which seems like a while ago, <laughs> is that like a lot of these staff were willing to put life-changing amounts of money on the line to back Sam Altman. Yeah, I mean, that was part of what people were saying when they were signing that letter saying, if you don't bring Sam Altman back to the company after he was ousted, uh, we may leave and go to Microsoft. And part of what they were saying sort of implicitly there is we may be leaving behind a life-changing amount of money uh, as far as this tender offer is concerned that hasn't yet been completed. That hasn't yet been completed, nor has an interim board to a permanent board. Is that still in negotiations? And ultimately, is it going to get more diverse? Those are really good questions. Uh, right now, we're still trying to figure out a little bit of that. Um, I have been reaching out to people. And I know other people on our team have also been doing likewise. Um, there are still like a few questions here about how many people are going to be on the board. What is the composition ultimately going to be? Is Microsoft going to have a seat on the board? Um, things like that, as far as I can tell, are being flushed out right now. And I'm hoping to know uh, very, very soon, actually. After we had the heart emoji salute thing on X, there was another emoji salute, which was a ship. So something actually happened on OpenAI on the product side while we were all trying to work out what was going on behind the scenes. What was it? Um, are you you're talking about Q? Or I'm talking you... about Q. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. It's been, it's been a, a, a five or six days that turned into about three weeks. Well, they, they basically like, released this new voice product as the, with the, the, like, we're still shipping things, and oh, they're, that. like, playing okay. with the ship. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, wait. So you're, sorry, you're talking about um, bringing um, voice on chat GPT right. to, uh, to all customers. Yeah, so I asked about that, and I was told that that was, um, that was something that was intended to be shipped out. Um, in advance, so this had it, it had nothing to do with the ousting of Sam Allman, but the timing is certainly nice. It's us. Well, we'll see how back they are now and whether the products keep on rolling. Rachel Metz, I mean, what a long few days it has been. It's great to have her all over the coverage. 
Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. It's about, what, 12.30 in New York time, 9.30 over there with you. Let's check on these markets halfway through the trading day in the U.S. And I'm looking at really managing to still hold on to two-tenths of the percent gain on the Nasdaq 100. There has been caution around some of the macro data coming from China, for example. Maybe just a bit of a cool down in overall enthusiasm around the Magnificent Seven since we've had such a run-up in those stocks. Nevertheless, still a few of them managed to dominate the leadership boards when it comes to the Nasdaq 100. Five-year yield, I shine a line on because we've got yet more auctions in the debt market today. Five-year crucial actually yields are coming down ahead of that sale. I'm looking at what's happening in the world of crypto. We're just off about a little bit, 37,000, though, still where we're trading. Even though we've got a weak US dollar, many feeling the course the Federal Reserve is done in terms of its hiking cycle. Move on and have a look at what's happening in the individual names, though, because as you pointed out a little bit earlier, Ed, it is, of course, Cyber Monday. Black Friday through Cyber Monday, Monday seemed to have been better than many had anticipated. A resilient consumer that helps, of course, well, the likes of Shopify, which is helping some of those companies that want to access that consumer actually sell and they're having a record set of numbers and of course that increases their volumes we're seeing up five percent on the trading day for shopify amazon of course going to be benefiting from some of the cyber monday deals but also interesting really relationship building going on between salesforce and indeed amazon web services at the moment announcing that expansion of their partnership the move like deepening the product integration across data and ai and for the first time we'll offer select salesforce products on the aws marketplace so really making aws even more integral across the board. So a bit of a tie-up there, and Salesforce doing well ahead of its earnings as well, Ed. Yeah, and it is interesting to see Black Friday, Cyber Monday move the needle on specific stocks. We haven't seen that in a little while. Let's turn to the shopping that is taking place over this holiday weekend. According to Adobe Analytics, U.S. shoppers will spend up to $12.4 billion online during today's Cyber Monday event. That's based on stronger-than-expected spending on Black Friday just gone and the popularity of Buy Now, Pay Later features. Joining us now is Rob Goff, VP and General Manager of Retail at Salesforce. And so Salesforce has its own own parallel data tracking very similar to Adobe Analytics. Are you guys also updating and upgrading what you expect this Cyber Monday based on the strength of Black Friday? Yeah, that's right, Ed. We at Salesforce aggregate signals from billions and billions of shoppers across our platform. So it gives us a bird's eye view of what's happening in the industry. And we're feeling really positive. We saw great results in Black Friday, up 9% in the U.S., totaling $16.4 billion. And that's really rivaling Cyber Monday as the two biggest digital days. So yeah, we're expecting strong single-digit growth. And it's really correlated to discounts. Consumers are seeking value. They're being diligent and with the increase of discount rates we're seeing the digital volume soar that's really interesting isn't it Rob because I mean you're a man with what, 25 years not to date you but about okay, 25 years in experience across retail in all of its guises and many would be like oh yay numbers are up but in the last few years maybe it's felt more of the inflation number has been why we've seen numbers up but now you're saying it's actually volume two yeah that's a really good distinction because we saw this soaring happening in the digital surge of around the pandemic why we couldn't go in the physical store so that created a whole new baseline so the last eight quarters or so much of the growth was from inflation not increased consumer demand and that's what we saw going into the holiday but now we're actually seeing increased orders we're seeing increased consumers demand now they are are seeking discounts but they're buying more finally and is that sustainable we know that this is almost seasonal we have this bulk buying that happens in this weekend then it all cools off for about 10 days and then suddenly everyone gets their act together just before the next round of holidays is that 
sort of consumer resilience worldwide going to be something we see in the next bout of shopping? Yeah, I've been talking to hundreds of retail executives worldwide for the last couple of months leading into the holiday. Nobody had an overly bullish forecast for this holiday. They were hoping to get out of it, create a nice foundation with their inventory levels, mm -hmm. with their margin. And but what we're seeing, what we're hearing is a sense of growth. Uh, retail executives are really positive. They're feeling good about the resiliency of the consumers. Now it will shift by verticals. There are some stronger ones than others, but they're feeling good about it. They're really leaning into the data they understand about their consumers, leveraging AI to build those personal relationships with those consumers because it is about retention at this point. It's about increasing margin. And they're feeling like, especially with the surprising results in Black Friday and what we're expecting during Cyber Monday, coming out of the year and feeling really good looking into the next fiscal year. The consumer electronics market is really interesting here because you guys are talking about really big numbers on the overall spend. And electronics have been really popular, but electronics have also been some of the most heavily discounted. You know, just explain that the causal link between the discount and then the pocket buying of, of those electronic items like TVs and consoles, for example. Yeah, there is a direct correlation between discounts and buying. There's been a lot of narrative about pulling the holiday earlier in the season, but the reality is it really kicked in during Cyber Week where retailers stepped up. And what happens each year, Ed, is this idea of the game of discount chicken. And consumers always win. The only year they didn't was in 2021, where we had a shortage of products. Remember, the containers were stuck in the port of LA, couldn't get into the domestic supply chain, so retailers didn't have to discount. But they do again, and they've stepped up. We're seeing discount levels on average at 30% across the board. Consumer electronics are slightly higher as they normally are, but we're also seeing it in health and beauty. We're seeing it in active apparel. We're seeing it in also footwear. Footwear seems to be a big category, both for discounts and for purchases online this holiday season. Rob Garf, VP and General Manager of Retail at Salesforce, really want to thank you. Great conversation. And look, we want to stick with sort of the theme of e-commerce and shopping because Entropy is a verification company. It uses AI technology to authenticate luxury goods in particular. In fact, it's recently partnered with TikTok Shop to verify goods sold on the platform. We want to be now welcoming the founder, the CEO of Entropy, it is Vidyuth Srinivasan. And Vidyuth fascinating way in which we're seeing people now buying direct from their social media platforms and wanting to have that trust element. You're using artificial intelligence just to make sure what that decades and you know of hundreds and hundreds of these goods that you're able to analyze you can then at the click of a switch be able to analyze the product that you're buying right? That's exactly right. Um, we've been uh, at this for years and our goal is to be a trustworthy standard. And we find this to be a massive need, especially in today's era of live, live commerce and social commerce, where there's a lot of influencer-based marketing and influencer-based sales. And one of the key questions that both TikTok and ourselves wanted to answer is, what are the right trust signals that we can send to enable shoppers to have uh, uh, confidence in what they buy? And uh, so we enable this service, which is on demand. And the idea is you take a few images of different items that are in front of you. Um, ideally, if you're a seller of these products and, um, and the verification happens on the cloud, it's all based on AI algorithms that understand the minutia between 
real and fake product. And uh, the output of it, generally speaking, is a certificate. And the key aspect of this is that certificate is verifiable. It is backed by a financial guarantee. And um, it, to me, it feels like TikTok is ahead of the curve in understanding that this trust is absolutely necessary when you don't know who you're buying from or what exactly you're buying. Video, if we were just showing pictures of what the experience is like from the consumer's perspective, let's go deeper. Explain the technology, how the underlying technology works. Sure. So uh, when we started this, uh, this, this, this uh, certification platform, the idea was that there's got to be some some differences between real and fake products, especially in an era where uh, the genuine manufacturers of, of these products have vertically integrated all the way from raw material sourcing up to you know retail and selling their product. So the question was, is there a different standard of production and manufacturing between real products and fake products? And we managed to answer that using AI. So uh, we built algorithms that identified that's that fairly confidently identify or accurately identify these differences and then we scale that by just gathering more and more data so today we have uh, tens of millions of unique items in the database uh, both real and fake product we source fake product ourselves unfortunately uh, from manufacturers from all over the world and this benefits in a sort of a community policing way right because we collect data from the community uh, on real and fake product, and then we also dis disperse the benefits of that using the AI service. And just how do you monetize that process? How do you make money through the app? It's a so it's a software as a service platform, and customers pay a flat fee per item, and we also back that with a financial guarantee. Because when we started, the question was always around why would you trust AI? Uh, why would you trust a machine? So we wanted to basically force ourselves to be A, good enough, and be trustworthy enough. So we back every single item with a financial guarantee, even though we aren't part of the transaction. And I think that has led to, uh, one, uh, a large distribution of, of, uh, of customer base. We have customers in about 80 different countries, from big brands all the way to tiny little pawn shops yeah. anywhere in the world. Um, this benefits consumers, ultimately. What's the hardest thing? to identify, to verify? Um, I mean, the, it's get, it has gotten harder across all brands because counterfeiters also seem to have a feedback loop where they actually work with consumers saying, tell us what we can do better. <laughs> um, yeah, it is, it is a weird upside-down world that we live in where people have also made it a little more socially acceptable to buy counterfeits, but I think that is also because of the quality of counterfeits have gotten better. But what is important to understand is they cause counterfeits seem like a victimless crime, but they cause many hundreds of billions of dollars worth of losses for everybody involved, from the manufacturer all the way down to consumers. We have tested products where 100% of the samples we tested had lead and cadmium paint on them. So it's not a victimless crime. You as a consumer are the victim. So you need to know what you're buying and make sure it's verified and authenticated and you have a certificate with it. Vidya Sinivrasan, Entropy founder and CEO, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Now, coming up on Bloomberg Technology, we're going to discuss the fate of China's gaming ecosystem as ByteDance plans to cut hundreds of jobs in its gaming division. That conversation coming up next. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. 
That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Okay, time for talking tech. First up, Chinese President Xi Jinping will visit Shanghai for the first time since its COVID lockdown, according to local media. He'll visit the Shanghai Futures Exchange and several tech giants operating in the megacity on Tuesday to try and boost a waning private sector sentiment. And sticking with China, Alibaba has shuttered its quantum computing research lab, a sign that the Chinese e-commerce and cloud operator is considering more cutbacks to bulk up the bottom line. The lab's closure will result in the loss of just 30 staff. Plus, Alibaba co-founder Jack Ma has a new venture, Hangzhou Ma's Kitchen Food, which he set up last week with an initial registered capital of 10 million yuan. That's 1.4 million US dollars. The business involves the sale of packaged agricultural products, according to information from China's National Enterprise Credit Information Publicity System. Karen. Let's stick on China. In particular, let's talk about ByteDance because it's the owner of TikTok that we know here, but it's also planning to cut hundreds of jobs in gaming and wind down its showpiece brand, Newverse, in a major withdrawal from the sector, according to sources. Now, a closure that marks ByteDance's biggest retreat from a once booming gaming industry dominated, of course, by Tencent and its smaller foe, NetEase. For more, we're really pleased to be welcoming Lisa Cosmos Hansen, President and CEO of Nico Partners, a market research and consulting firm covering the Asia games market in particular and its consumers, you are the perfect voice, Lisa. And ultimately, was this a game of market share? Were they unable to take on the giant of Tencent? Ultimately, it may have been that, but I don't think that the games industry has ever been ByteDance's primary focus. You know, TikTok and Douyin, as it's known in China, are just huge forces to be reckoned with around the world. And ByteDance entered the game space with Newverse several years ago, but it really doesn't have a strong percentage of their global revenues in any given year. They have some 
uh, flagship brands that they acquired, such as Mouton's Mobile Legends Bang Bang. But that's really well known throughout Southeast Asia. It hasn't even launched yet in China. This could be just at the five-year mark. They're looking at their what their five-year plan might have been and saying maybe we need to restructure a bit. It's good to set the scene because like Tencent is the giant, not just in China, it's the gaming giant globally. And even if ByteDance kind of pulls back from the content title side, TikTok is such an in. Every time I'm on TikTok, there is some video games related content in there. Do, do you feel like that's kind of the secret weapon that ByteDance has to make money in gaming? Definitely. I think that TikTok reaches so many eyeballs around the world and that a lot of those eyeballs see those ads and the user acquisition techniques that ByteDance has for game published globally and that even if ByteDance completely shutters Newverse, which is still not even confirmed, we should say clearly, mm. uh, that they will still benefit from the games industry globally because they will be part of the machine that helps acquire users for publishers everywhere. Lisa, the, the big regulatory crackdown on gaming in China was was very much the and a socialist mantra around you know what society is exposed to. Does that regulatory risk remain in China if you're a video games maker? The regulatory landscape in China has always been in the 20 years I've covered that market and will always be the number one hurdle to you know, a known entity for game co companies anywhere, even if they're domestic and if they're international, certainly, to be able to launch games and then have uh, you know, success in that market. But I think that most of the regulatory changes are behind us now and that people have some stronger footing to move forward. I think that as we look at regulations in China, as with all markets around the world, companies need to respect the laws of that country that they're trying to enter. And then, you know, there's still huge amounts of money to be made in the Chinese games market. Any given year, even this year, it's almost $50 billion in revenue in China alone. Yeah. And so I think that that's a big part of the global market. And there will be benefit there for all companies. And that's why we saw some pretty high-profile acquisitions. I mean, notably, ByteDance made one itself. What, back in 2021, I think it was, it splurged $4 billion in buying up Shanghai Moonton technology. Bloomberg's reported that they're likely to spin off, sell that at least. Is there a market to be selling into this environment at the moment? Are gaming studios very valuable or less so than prior to the regulatory crackdown? Well, I think that there's a lot of internationalization of Chinese companies to the rest of the world in terms of mergers and acquisition or sell-offs or more. And if ByteDance were to sell off Moonton, then that game, their game, Mobile Legends Bang Bang, is very popular throughout the world. And I think that they would have a buyer waiting for it. There are rumors that they would sell off Moonton. Again, I don't think that's ByteDance's mainstay business, and there has been a ripe appetite for acquisitions, particularly out of the Middle East, such as in Saudi Arabia, with the Public Investment Fund or Savvy Games purchasing recently Scopely and already dedicating $38 billion to investments of any kind of company or studio to be able to build Saudi Arabia's games industry 
you know, probably with an eye on becoming what China has become. So it's not surprising that there would be acquisition around the world and that Moonton would be one of the brands that might be something that people would be interested in. I was a bit surprised that ByteDance might want to sell it off because it is a well-known brand. And that game, Mobile Legends Bang Bang, is one of the biggest mobile esports titles around, and they're about to launch in China. So uh, why they would sell that off, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure that they will. It really depends what the extent of the restructuring of Newverse really is. Lisa Cosmos Hansen, President and CEO of Nico Partners, thank you so much for joining us. Wearables powered by artificial intelligence are generating some buzz this holiday shopping season. And one startup's AI pin is at the heart of the conversations. I want to bring in Bloomberg's Austin Carr, who's writing about it in the Tech Daily. We had the humane CEO, Bethany Bongiorno, on the, sh on the show the other day. They're not the only game in town. Everyone is now all about hand motion. Talk us through it. Yeah, so I think everyone's trying to figure out in this sort of new era of, of digital interaction, um, what, what's the next step beyond a keyboard, beyond a mouse, beyond a touchscreen? And with Humane, their AI pin, they're using sort of a laser beam from an AI lapel pin, beams up onto your hand, and you sort of interact with it by motioning, clicking with your fingers and thumb. And Apple, Meta, everyone's following suit with trying to figure out what gestures, what interactions are going to work more quickly than actually touching buttons in person. Um, and I think, you know, it, it remains to be seen whether this technology will be taking off. But for decades, people have been really thinking about, yeah, what's this new interaction model? What's this future of design when it comes to virtual reality? And it's not always work, these sorts of gestures. Just take Google's Nest Hub, for example. Yeah, I mean, you could, if you have a Google Nest Hub, the sort of tabletop tablet right now, uh, you can go interact with it using your hands um, to stop an alarm or uh, press play on something. You can sort of push toward the screen. It's sort of like shoving a ghost. It's a little weird, a little unnatural. You might find using your voice is easier. Uh, a lot of different companies, uh, yeah, a lot of different companies are using different gestures to, you know, clenching your fist to quit something. Um, they're using computer vision to read how your hands are interacting, or the Apple Watch even. You can turn it on uh, in accessibility mode in order to play a song or skip an alarm, stop things, have sort of an action button just with the click of your index finger and thumb. Um, so, it, it, uh, you know, I think it depends on whether this technology is actually going to be useful. Uh, again, right now it's faster sometimes to just click. We're so used to it. But this technology is coming, and a lot of big-name tech brands are, are really experimenting it. Microsoft has been doing it since the 2010s with their Microsoft Connect. Act, uh, playing sort of video games, but it's it's been difficult to interact with some of these systems, but they're getting a lot better. Shoving a ghost. That's a beautiful analogy to be visualizing. We thank you, Bloomberg's Austin Carr. Appreciate it. Meanwhile, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Yep, a big thank you to all of you listening to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, and the Bloomberg platforms from SF in New York. This is Bloomberg Technology. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.